I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. Not to belabor this issue of the... (laughs) The camera looking into my guest bedroom from whence I broadcast each day. But if you look right now, if you download that KSL News Radio app powered by any of our services, uh, you will see that it's not just me broadcasting here to you live on KSL News Radio today, but also uh, my cat Rachel has just climbed up onto the desk. So uh, hello, Rachel. Uh, good to see you. You, you. you got any thoughts on this uh, President Trump executive order thing? No, nothing. You, 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 you have no thoughts. You, as a representative of the cat community, uh, have nothing to say on the matter. All right. Well, very good. I'll touch base in later. Uh, Okay. So you remember a few weeks ago, uh, Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill, uh, he not only appeared on this program, but he also uh, had delivered some remarks explaining that uh, in his estimation, after his analysis, his legal analysis uh, and an analysis of the the video footage capturing the, the shooting death, of a uh, fleeing armed robbery suspect that the officers involved uh, were not uh, in violation or he uh, did not find them in violation of any Utah law and would not be bringing charges against them. He, during that presentation, uh, on two occasions, if my memory serves, then later on my own radio program, uh, he talked about how he was bound by Utah law, that the conclusion he drew uh, in that, uh, after being presented with all the evidence, the co- conclusion uh, where he arrived, that was a result of, of Utah law. And it was strict application of Utah law that brought about uh, his recommendation that no charges ought be filed. He mentioned on two occasions that, uh, that there may be good reason to change the law and that those upset with his decision ought be upset not with him, but rather on Utah law. Uh, a month ago, uh, just yesterday, Simgill spoke uh, on this program after the announcement that the officers would not be charged in the shooting death of uh, Bernardo Palacios Carbajal. Here is what he said then. If the people want a different outcome, and, uh, and there's valid concerns about the, those broader issues, but in this particular case, the, uh, the law was applied as it was meant to be applied, and if we want different outcomes, then let's change the law. Well, it was not that long after those words shared on this program and that similar sentiment communicated uh, in his press conference of the day prior uh, that the uh, Salt Lake County DA released a list of 22 suggested police reforms. Yeah. He, uh, it was about a 15-page document he uh, laid out. In it, uh, there were 22 changes that Simgill would recommend given that the, quote, laws justifying deadly force in Utah are more generous to law enforcement officers than to other members of our community. The spirit uh, essentially was to uh, bring about uh, parity of sorts where uh, you and I, you know, as citizens, non-law enforcement officers, we, uh, if we 
uh, use deadly force against someone, that there is a, a certain criteria which would justify uh, that, uh, that behavior. You know, if our own life was threatened, and uh, the, the bar is very high, and the, the spirit of Simgil's suggestions uh, would bring the same criteria uh, to whether or not it was justified. A law enforcement officer uh, used uh, a deadly force. Uh, we'll get into the details uh, of what he had to say in just a moment, but I uh, had occasion to speak with Representative Lee Perry, a former member of the Utah Highway Patrol, uh, also announced recently he won't be seeking re-election to the Utah State Legislature, where he has served for a long time. So on the, on the topic of law enforcement, and specifically law enforcement uh, legislation and law and statute, uh, Representative Perry has been my go-to and uh, a short time ago, he and I had a conversation about uh, the reforms outlined by Sim Gale. Here is one area Representative Perry sees uh, sees the issue uh, sees issue with immediately. Right off the bat, the whole you know holding an officer similar to the same standard that very first one, the same standard as a non-officer sounds great. I mean, off the top, you're oh yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. The the problem is is Non-officers are not called to go to domestic violence calls. Non-officers are not asked to make traffic stops. Non-officers are not asked to go to burglary or robbery calls or not asked to go to rape calls. And so we suddenly say, oh, wait a minute, we're asking these officers to do special, exceptional things on top of the fact we're asking them to wear a uniform, to do extra things, and then we turn around and say, but we want to treat you the same as everybody else. You get that distinction there? Uh, And so that is the reaction of a former member of law enforcement dedicated his entire life uh, and career uh, to wearing the uniform understands the issue uh, pretty well. I continued in that conversation with Representative Perry. I asked uh, if these suggestions by uh, by Sim Gill's office make the experience of law enforcement officers more or less dangerous. Probably more dangerous in some cases, and in a lot of cases, I think if you went through and did all of these things, you would be nearly impossible to find anybody willing to be a law enforcement officer unless you're going to pay them NBA wages. You would have to pay them like a movie star, an NBA star, a brain surgeon in order to fit all of these things in there because nobody's going to take these liabilities and all these things and say, yeah, I'll go out and protect the public and do all these things with the, uh, the, the possibility that my whole family could be my, – my, my whole livelihood could be decimated. I could be thrown in prison or jail. All those factors can be thrown at me for going out and trying to protect and serve people, even if it's just by a simple mistake if you follow all, 50, all 21 of his recommendations. So when Sim Gill put forth these recommendations, he told KSL that he's not trying to present the only answer, but rather give lawmakers a starting point uh, ahead of next year's legislative session, adding uh, that his office is well positioned to make these recommendations because of how many officer-involved critical incidents it has investigated. Uh, Quote, Gill says, the Salt Lake County District Attorney's Office, unfortunately, has had to review almost 100 cases in the past 10 years, and we sort uh, we sort of see where our limitations are, and we understand that there is something more that our community wants. All right, so you heard the reference there being made to a starting point, a starting point where lawmakers can uh, take these recommendations and run with them if they so choose. But what do lawmakers think? Now, Lee Perry won't be in the conversation uh, only because he uh, isn't seeking re-election, but there are some uh, lawmakers that are sticking behind and have already, already started to look at these. 
already uh, started to evaluate uh, the applicability uh, of these uh, recommendations. Specifically, uh, members of the state's Criminal Code Evaluation Task Force, of which Representative Paul Ray is a co-leader. We'll be speaking with Representative Ray, uh, who has some serious concerns uh, with, with these types of reforms. And remember uh, what Lee Perry told us, that if all of these recommendations were to be put into place, it would be darn near impossible to actually affect any law enforcement. That there would be so many, uh, so much second-guessing, so many requirements, so many ways so many ways for the law to tear down a cop that the effectiveness, their ability to protect and serve, would be greatly diminished. We'll see uh, coming up in the next segment exactly what uh, Representative Paul Ray thinks uh, and what he sees uh, ought be done, if anything ought be done at all. People say uh, that they want to see uh, changes to police behavior. Is this the way uh, to bring it about? We'll ask him next when we return to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Radio. Welcome back. You may have noticed over the course of the past, uh, what, eight, nine months, that you and I have been gathering together each day at 1230 to share this radio program together. You may have noticed uh, that I'm very easily distracted, that I can have a plan in front of me, and if uh, a squirrel runs by, that squirrel gets my uh, total attention, uh, regardless of how important the task at hand actually is. For example, did you hear in the newscast, uh, we learned a new a celebrity has contracted the coronavirus via Instagram. Uh, Antonio Banderas has made it known that he uh, is now suffering from the coronavirus. We wish him well. You know, we, we get get better. We, we need more uh, out of you. Uh, you do some great work. Well, the there was a, a brief comment there talking about how Antonio Banderas intended to spend his time in quarantine, and it is uh, he isolate himself right very wisely, and that will be he he will be reading and writing. What, and here's where, here, here's where I got distracted, because I immediately started thinking, what, what is Antonio Banderas writing? What does a novel or an essay or a letter or a play or a screenplay uh, from Antonio Banderas look like? I thought, wait a second, maybe we've got an example. So, of course, uh, instead of getting ready for my conversation with Representative Paul Ray, who I have on hold right now, and I feel terribly uh, that I'm leaving on hold as I talk about Antonio Banderas' IMDb page, uh, but hear me out another 30 seconds or so. 
So I go to I go to Antonio Banderas's uh, IMDb page. Uh, I went to his writing credits. He has but one writing credit, and it is a movie, a screenplay, a drama. Uh, quick description, a young boy named Akil, who is being hunted by the police, flees Africa and takes refuge in an American woman's home in Spain. Uh, that woman will uh, be portrayed by Melanie Griffith, Antonio Banderas' uh, ex-wife. Anyway, uh, so there's my tangent. Now to the task at hand. Uh, Representative Racer, sorry to leave you holding there. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Lee? That was actually very interesting. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, Antonio Banderas, the, the, the author, the writer. We'll, we'll see what he churns out once he emerges from COVID quarantine. Uh, you uh, were involved in a, a meeting last Thursday. Uh, you and uh, others uh, make up the, the state's criminal code evaluation task force. B- before we get into what was discussed on Thursday, uh, what is the, what's the mandate of this uh, criminal code evaluation task force? What are your responsibilities? So, Lee, what the, what the uh, responsibility is, is, is uh, and this is an interesting task force because you have myself as the House chair, a Republican, but you have Senator Karen Maine as the Senate chair as a Democrat. So it's a really, it's, it's an awesome task force because it's very well divided up. Uh, we, we wanted to hear voices and, and try not to make it as political and just reevaluate, just evaluate different codes. You know, it started over the death penalty. And it's kind of grown from that point to take a look at things that potentially controversial, whatever. We've got district attorneys, defense attorneys. We've got uh, sentencing commission, uh, CCJJ, uh, a couple of state representatives, um, a state senator, a couple of state senators, and and so we, we've got, I think, a really good balance. Uh, the state, the uh, post uh, um, training uh, Scott Stevenson, who's over post, and and uh, so I, I think it's a it's a very well balanced uh, task force. And what does the task force do ultimately? Do you submit to the legislature recommendations, or is it more broad than that? What uh, what ultimately do you produce? You know, ultimately we produce we produce legislation. Uh, every year we run uh, two or three bills out of that task force. Um, you know, the bill that we ran the very first year, we were to look at death penalty. We looked at it. We didn't feel any need to repeal the death penalty, uh, but we brought forward legislation. Um, you know, just cleaning up criminal code. Uh, we, we did the one with, um, uh, sex workers where they're not prosecuted if they, you know, if they have a crime committed to get them against mm. them so they can report the crime. Uh, you know, we, we took adultery or adultery out of the criminal code because the Supreme Court had already said it needed to be. And so, you know, we just really tried to, to number one is clean up, uh, state code. And the number two is, is have that, uh, first glance at some of the more controversial things that come forward. Yeah. You, in this meeting last Thursday, I referenced. So we, under, we understand the task force now, and in that capacity, uh, you heard from the office of uh, Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill, who recently has released uh, a, a long list, 22 items, I believe, of potential recommendations that he would like to, if, uh, uh, if he had his way, uh, used as a jumping-off point for uh, the legislature in the next session. As that was presented to uh, the task force, how would you respond to all those measures, sir? You know, Lee, I, I, you know, some of the, the training stuff, we'll take training any day of the week. You know, the more training we can do with law enforcement, the better we are. Law enforcement's been begging for training for a long time. So the de-escalation training... Um, you know, bias training, those types of things, we are, we are more than happy to look at. And it comes to funding, and you have people screaming to defund the police, but if you do that, the training never happens. If you really want to make a difference, training is where it's at. Right. What you know, about then the... we looked at the other, we, we looked at the more controversial parts, you know, the, 
you know, requiring an officer for at any point that they fire the weapon, they have to give a warning before they do that. Right now, the law says it's feasible. You know, that uh, is is very troubling because you're going to get an officer killed because you don't. A lot of times, uh, when these things come down, for instance, the officer was just shot in the shoulder last week. There's not a chance. You know, somebody opens fire on you. You're, you're you've got to return fire quickly. Or somebody turns around and flashes a gun in your face. You have to take action. You don't have time to give that warning. So things like that is very concerning. And, you know, just absolutely would, would, would not work. And, you know, to require a less than lethal before you can go to lethal, well, if you have an individual has a gun, you need to, if, if, at worst case scenario, match firepower, if not have superior firepower. So there, there's some things that you can tell. Sim's a prosecutor, and, and I actually get along pretty well with him, but he's never walked the beat. He's never been with the cops, and he's, he doesn't understand how some of this stuff happens. Share with me your bona fides, sir. What, uh, what, what qualifies uh, your participation in this task force? Well, Lee, I've uh, you know I worked a little bit of law enforcement back in the '80s, but more, more, uh, I think more um, recently is the fact that I spend a lot of time out with law enforcement. I do a lot of ride-alongs. Spend a lot of time, and not just here in Utah. I've been to LA. I've been to Chicago. Um, you know, I've been to places I, I've, I've done ride-alongs down in Watts, Compton, and in the L.A. area, uh, you know, to get an idea of what's happening across the country. And and so, you know, there, there's a, uh, we, I've seen a lot. And, you know, you just have to realize that, you know, some of it sounds really good on paper, but it's just not practical. It's going to put the lives of our law enforcement officers in danger. You're quoted on Thursday uh, having said people keep saying that, you know, they want to change police behavior. Let's change criminal behavior. That's the problem. The problem is not your police officers. The problem is your criminals. It's your rioters. Uh, what, what did you mean there, and, and how do we resolve that issue the way you see it? Well, I mean, that, that's the thing. If you look at what happened in Chicago last night, um, they had gunfire breakout. They actually had an individual get shot down there by law enforcement, but he pulled a gun at law enforcement. And, and that's the thing is you have these individuals that are attacking law enforcement, and, you know, they're getting the rear end handed to them, or unfortunately sometimes, you know, they're getting shot. And they're blaming law enforcement for those actions. And it's the actions of those rioters, of, of, of the criminal behavior that's causing this to happen. You know, if you're not breaking laws, you're a lot safer than if you're the guy out there with the gun waving it in the air or, you know, flashing it at law enforcement. So criminal behavior is really where we need to start on this. Right now, they're almost rewarding criminal behavior. Um, and we need to, you know, there, there needs to be the punishment. We don't seem to have that going on, even in Salt Lake County. It's harder than heck to go to jail right now. You, you've got to do something pretty serious to actually get booked into jail in Salt Lake. I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I've made these very same observations myself. Uh, what is preventing us from criminalizing criminality? You know, I, I think it's just it's the politics that are happening right now. Uh, you, you have a very uh, – you have a minority uh, group of people. When I say minority, is the lesser of the groups. A, a numeric uh, reference, are, sure. You better clarify that. You know, just just that are causing criminal behavior, and then they're trying to get off of it, and they're you know they're trying to glorify what they're doing, and they're trying to say they're doing it under you know, and, and quite quite honestly, the people that are actually causing the problems, you know, there's there's good sets of protests that are going on, but when it turns violent or turns to a riot, you cross the line, and we have certain individuals that keep instigating the violence, and that's what we need to go after. There's a special session of the Utah State Legislature upcoming. Will there be any law enforcement legislation, do you predict, uh, addressed there? You know, I, I really don't think so. And I, I've actually asked the Speaker to not do that because the changes that we're talking are pretty substantial. I mean, if we wanted to add training and add those things, if we can find the money, absolutely, let's do it now. But if we're actually changing policy, procedure, 
things that are going to put law enforcement or public at safety. And that's the other thing. When you put a law enforcement at safety, you're also putting public or, or in danger. You're putting public in danger also. So the, I, I think those are things that need to be done in the session where we have time to have more public comment, more hearings. And we're not rushed in one day to make a decision. We have the 45-day session and the work up to that point that we can actually discuss these. That, that makes great sense to me. Uh, so many of the decisions, I think, that are being made right now, uh, even in terms of policy here and there, are being made uh, as knee-jerk reactions. And some of the ramifications of those decisions uh, could be injurious to, to not only police but also the public. So uh, a good uh, stretch of time where you can thoughtfully consider these things is, is wise. I uh, appreciate your recommendation to the speaker. Uh, Representative Ray, also thank you for, for the work you're doing as a legislator and in your uh, meeting with the task force on Thursday. Keep it up. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and as we wrap up uh, today's episode of Live Mike, we're going to shift our attention to Mount Rushmore. Four presidents there. Can you envision a fifth? And what would qualify a fifth president to have his image engraven in Mount Rushmore? <laughs> we'll get into it next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.